My guest today made over 500 Football League appearances. He had two spells at Lincoln City, including most recently in 2004. He was also a youth coach at the club as recently as 2016. Delighted to say that Dean West joins us now. Dean, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for doing this. Really great to have you on the We Are Imps podcast. Um, you are now a scout at Sunderland. Tell us about that. Why scouting? Uh, scouting, it's uh, keeps involved in the game uh, and it's not full on. It's a part-time role. Uh, and it just keeps me me eyeing as uh, to football, and it, it keeps me involved in you know bumping into lads that you know I've, I've played with over the years who are still involved, and you know I use it more of a social thing sometimes as well, like you know go to a game, stay over and see some mates and what have you like. But it's it's not not a full time role, so it doesn't take up all my time. Yeah, not full time. I mean, do you miss playing? I, I'm going to get straight into it really because so many people say that they do. And then on the flip side, you have some players that once they've finished, that's it for them. They're happy to, to, to park football, if you like. The first couple of years, you miss it immensely. I mean, I did. Uh, I, I mean, I dripped myself off it because I played non-league for, you know, until about 39. So I was really just dragging my body through it and, you know, getting through it. But um, I think once you, once you finish and you can't play, the first year is tough because you still think you can play. But then after, t- after two, three years, you realise your body just won't allow you to, you know, you, you watch games and, oh, that's easy, that's all right. You play a charity game and you just realise and it, it, it hits you and you realise that was the right time. So, but the first couple of years, you know, are tough because it's, a, you know, something that you've done since you left school or certainly I did and you played for that many years and it, it, it's just not taken away from you, but you, your body just lets you down and such like, so you can't carry on forever. And how's the body feeling now? Feel loads better now. <laughs> Once you finish playing, you, you feel loads better. Uh, although you play charity matches and you can't walk for a day or two after, but it's the, the good fun uh, in respect of, you know, you, it's good to be out on the pitch, but frustrating mm. because you can't do the things you used to do. We're back here in the in the Legends Lounge. This is the uh, the home of the We Are Imps podcast. Since you've been back at the club, of course, of course, as a youth coach back in around 2016, as we mentioned, but the many times you've been back since, does it have a, a different feel to when you were playing or is it still very much... Sinsel Bank, the LNER, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's, I still refer to Sinsel Bank. Um, fond memories for me because I started my, my football career here. Uh, you know, I started as a YTS, uh, 88, 89. Uh, you'll know better if you've done research. <laughs> but, we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I started as a YTS um, and, you know, played here for uh, three years pro and what have you. And then obviously came back um, again years after going to Bury and Burnley. But it's a special place for me. I remember mean, league debut here. Uh, scored my first goal here on, on my debut uh, and played with some some good good lads who are still seeing now who, who still live in Lincoln you know, you know, John Schofield and the Grant Browns and, and what have you uh, so in and every time I come back it's this there's still a, a nucleus of fans here uh, that are still supporting Lincoln City and yeah it's a, it's a special club for me yeah special memories tell us about some of those memories what is two spells as, as we mentioned but it was that it was that first spell wasn't it that was the real one for you that your love for the club I guess developed yeah I mean you did, did two years YTS um, and you know I remember debut on the, the last game of the season against Carlisle at the, the end of my YTS and and scored in a, a 6-2 win uh, which I've still got it actually on a on a, on a video um, which uh, I've transferred to DVD as well now I haven't watched it but I still remember it to this day uh, you know Last game of the season, boiling hot, rock hard pitch, um, and I think we won six two. Uh, Tony Lawmer scored four, uh, and I managed to get one near the end. And uh, after the game, um, uh, Steve Thompson told me I got a pro contract. So from that moment onwards, you know, I, you know, it's a special day for me. Basically, earning my first pro contract. 
I guess as a player, not not that I'd know, obviously, but as a as a professional player or as a youth player moving into that pro contract, whoever offers you that that first pro contract must mean a lot to you as a manager because it's such a pivotal moment of your life, not just your footballing career. And for you, it was obviously Tomo. Yeah, I mean, you know, managers shape you a little bit as well because obviously uh, Colin Murphy was manager when I started my YTS, and um, you know, it was back in the day YTS was. It was it was two years hard labour. It wasn't it wasn't just football and education and it it was it was life education. You know, my first two weeks as a YTS football, I never saw football. We 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 repainted the ground, we weeded all around the pitch, we did every manual job that was available for for Merv to get us to do for two weeks. Uh, but when you look at the time, you're thinking, what's this all about? But when you look back, you're thinking that shapes you. Do you know what I mean? It, it it tests you as well because it's hard work. You've come straight sixteen year old straight out of school uh, and then you're doing two weeks hard labour and, you know, some lads didn't like it, but some lads you know, got stuck in and, you know, right, this is this is for me and then the football comes after it because you have to put the graft in to get to where you want to be, whatever job you do. Uh, and, you know, I look back on it now and the first first days of YTS, I say, we weeded, I weeded that pitch and it was the old shingle uh, around the outside and I weeded it on my hands and knees, boiling hot day, and I finished it. I went to see uh, Murph, Colin, Gaffer, as we used to call him then, uh, and like and said, I, I finished, and he came out. He went, nah, do it again. And I had to do it again. Do you know what I mean? So that 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 shapes you. Them sort of rules, and you know whatever you got told to do, you had to do. Don't get me wrong. You know it's it's, it's changed for the best, better now. I think you know football wise, but um, shaping you as, as 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 people and as workers, I think it it, it helped me a lot. Why do you think it's changed for the better then? Because you, you the, the term that you used there was life education, and and. You can't really put a price on that. And we see so many ex-pros now talk about how it's changed over the years. But it's interesting that you say there that actually it's it's better off now than what it was. Well, what I mean better, I mean better football-wise. Mm. I don't mean by life because I think mm. them life them life skills, you know, they're, they're, you know, very few and far between youngsters these days. You know, they don't know how to, you know, work a washing machine or, you know, life skills basically you pick up as you go along. But football-wise, they spend more time on the, on the football pitch. They're going to be better footballers. So, you know, you, you can't say that it's not better for them because, you know, they're turning out better footballers. I mean, I watch loads of football now and I look at lads who are like 18, I think, technically so much better than I ever was in my football career because they've they've played so much football technically and better pitches and spent more time on it. But, you know, you don't see as much grit and determination now uh, because they don't have to fight as much to get to where they need to be. A lot of things are given to them a bit too early, but, you know, I'm sort of like in the middle of the sort of, you know, I'm I'm a bit old school, but because of the sort of like dating coaching a little bit, I, I get the sort of like the new school sort of way as well. So a little bit of both for me. What about atmospheres? How much of atmospheres changed over the years in football? The reason I ask that is because there's there's a good amount of goals from yourself. I know you, obviously it was 20 that you scored, I think it was for, for Lincoln, wasn't it? But some of those are, are on YouTube and some of them are absolute belters, by the way. Um Back then, the atmosphere at this place was was pretty good, wasn't it? And now we know just how good it is. So do you think that atmosphere in football has changed over time? Because here's a great example of actually people talking about modern football, but modern football seems to have, have developed really well at the stadium here, but not necessarily across football in general. Yeah, I think most of the stadiums are bigger now with the higher up you go. Uh, you know, back in the day, like, you know, your terraces, you know, people leaning over the, the edge of the pitch and, you could, you know, when you went to pick a ball up to take a throw in, mm. you know, you the People have talked to you. Uh, now it's a little bit different. Now you're a little bit set further back. Uh, 
But it depends what stadium you're playing. You know, I watch the football I watch. I watch a bit of non-league football and league football. And I do enjoy going back to non-league football because you hear all everything from the crowd uh, and the, the atmosphere and, you know, the, the locals, you know, giving the, the opposition side everything, you know what I mean, and really giving it to them. Uh, then you go to, like, you know, championship games and it's a bit more sterile, but it's, you know, well-supported and, uh, you know, the, the atmospheres are, are, are good. But I think back in the day, probably a bit better because you're a bit close to the fans as well. Tell us about some of the managers you've played for then. You mentioned Murph, you mentioned Steve Thompson as well. Give us a bit of an insight into what they were like as as man managers. Obviously, I know Tomo was your, your professional manager, if you like, and maybe a couple of the other ones that you played for that left an impression on you. Yeah, it's an impression off everybody, really, because, you know, if you if you, if you play for managers, you know, you, you I think you should learn or take something from from all of them and they should want to improve you or, or use you in certain ways. I mean, I spoke about Murph uh, really shaping me as a, as a worker and work ethic. And then Tomo giving me a first pro contract. And Tomo was a, you know, a hard taskmaster, you know, you, you you'd got told to do what you needed to do and you didn't do it, you didn't play sort of thing. Um, and then Keith was a little bit different, Keith Alexander, uh, you know, more of a laid back sort of uh, manager, but, you know, he let you get on with things. You know what I mean? He let you get on with the game and, you know, just guided you. Uh, Sam Ellis probably had a big effect on me when I was here because he he basically took me off a, a low wage because you're coming through the, as a YTS and young pro, you know, you're on low wages and what have you. You're just happy to be a pro. It's, it's, it's just great. You know, you think you're, the best thing, the best job in the world. You're not getting paid a lot, but it's like, it's, it's great. When Sam Ellis came in, um, he he gave me a proper contract on proper money, allowed me to buy my first house, which, you no, know, these are life-changing things. Like, and I always remind me when I see him, I always tell the story, you know, when I got my, my, my proper contract with a decent wage, I bought my first house. You know, it changed my life, really. You know, I got, I'm a lad of a house. Um, Steve Wicks was the next manager. Uh, he didn't last long uh, here. Uh, he came in and tried to change things too too quickly. Got rid of a few players. He actually moved me on to Berry, which I was upset about at the time, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I went to Berry, uh, and you know, my, my career really sort of like took off. And as such, um, we, you know, we, and look, funnily enough, Sam Ellis came to Berry as assistant manager with Stan Turner, who we managed there, uh, and we had four really successful years there. You know, two promotions. Uh, from what what is League Two now, got promoted, then won League One to the Championship with Little Old Berry, uh, and then you know moved on to Burnley there with Stan Turner again, um, who again I played for him for nine years, uh, Stan, and he was a hard taskmaster. He, if you he said jump, you had to jump. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think the managers like that? Are, it got the best out of me, mm. and that's that's good man- management. Uh, he he realised that. It could have a go at me, and I'd like I wouldn't have a go back. I'd be on the pitch saying, "Right, I'm going to show you." Yeah, you know I mean, so managers work players out, don't they? The no ones that can have a go at, and the no ones need to put the the arms around them. You know, listen, I wouldn't say I was a great offense with him all through the, the my, my career, but, but I played with him for nine seasons, so I, I did something right. Uh, and looking back, you know, I enjoyed it. I had a, a pro career under under mainly under understand um, and. Yeah, there were some rocky times, some really rocky times. And you, you think, well, at the time you're thinking, well, I should have had a go back then. But you're thinking, well, you know, I've got more respect for that. And, you know, I, I got out of what I needed to do and, you know, enjoyed my football career. Isn't it funny, though, how there are points in your life or points, I guess, in, in this case, in your football career where a decision is made, not necessarily a decision that, that you like, that you agree with and that, that you want to happen. In this case, it was actually being moved on to Berry, and then you go on and make over over 100 appearances for, for Berry, wasn't it, certainly? And become 
a legend there and enjoy some unbelievable times. But that wasn't necessarily a decision that you foresaw at the time. No, you know, it was it literally it was a player swap. Uh, I think Steve Wicks was, was changing the squad around, which you know, new managers do. Um, and, you know, I got a chance to go to, to Bury and, you know, wasn't something I was looking for. Uh, but as I said, like, it was it was the best thing that ever happened to me because my, my career cracked on from there. Do you know what I mean? It was like, you know, step up sort of thing and two promotions. And the team that we had there at Bury, you know, it doesn't often happen. Like, you don't get promoted and then get promoted again. You don't see that very often, like, to the to the, the championship from, from League Two as such. Uh so and then you know we, we established ourselves in uh, in the the championship, but then the, the team started to get broken up. Then you know, uh, Dean Kiley went to Charlton, uh, Chris Lickety went to Huddersfield, David Johnson went to Ipswich, Len John Rose went to uh, Burnley. You know the, the team started to get uh, broken up because we were you know we'd, we'd done really well from where we were, and then you know that that team got disbanded, and then obviously the season after I went to to Burnley as well. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you move on to different uh, pastures and you, sometimes it, it, it just fits. Some legends at that club, wasn't there? When you talk about that, I mean, a point in time for Berry, I guess, and I'm, I'm sure you, you know, having them so close to your heart when you look back at what's happened to Berry over the past decade or so, it must actually be quite hurtful, really. Yeah, I mean, we could talk all day about Berry, but, you know, what's happened. I know they've, they've sorted themselves out now, like, and uh, I've been up there a few times in the last few years doing... Uh, Sort of events and things like that, and 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 what have you. But they've, they've finally managed to secure the club back and get back to gig lane, and uh, you know, amalgamate AFC into FC, and it's it's been a murky world. And you, you're watching from afar, and it, it hurts a little bit mm. because the way that club was allowed to 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 go uh, wasn't right, and you know, it's just just the way football had gone. Like money got into it, and certain people, like you know spent too much money and then, then, then the club went. So, uh, it, yeah, it's it's a special club to me and I'm glad they're back to, well, getting going to get back to where they need to be. Yeah, I said Burnley there, didn't I? Obviously meant Barry, but you moved on to Burnley uh, and as did someone you mentioned there as well, Len John Rose. Um, tell us about what he meant to you both uh, as a as a co-colleague, if you like, as a, as a footballer, but and as a person as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, Len met in the uh, the Berry change room back in '95 when I joined there. He joined from Hartlepool uh, previously, so uh, yeah, had a great cam- camaraderie in the change room. Um, and Len was like a practical joker, like and you know didn't didn't stand for anything. Do you know what I mean? He was like he's after everybody in the change room. Do you know what I mean? Nothing nothing was uh, off off limits with Len. Like he was a really good character. Uh, and then he, he moved on to to Burnley uh, the year before I went, and then obviously he had a. Uh, an influence on me going there as well uh, because obviously he's my friend and obviously uh, Stan was the manager there so we, we moved on there together and spent you know another, another three four years together there uh, and then obviously when we finished playing football we, we remained friends and then obviously his diagnosis of MND um, you know it hit a lot of people really hard you know I mean his family uh, myself we were really clo- close friends uh, and you know it's really sad but you know, Len always always had a laugh. Even when he got diagnosed, he, you know, he was he was full of beans, and he he lived his life, you know, to the full. When he uh, you know MND, obviously, you know the things MND does to you, and you know the 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 slow process of him declining was was tough. Um, and you know, but we we keep his his legacy uh, going on. We know we do events for the family and events for MND, uh, and you know we try and keep that uh, the memory of Len, Len going. And you were the one that, that called up the PFA at the time, Gordon Taylor in charge. Really obvious question, but why why did you call up the PFA? What tell us why you sort of stepped in, if you like, because I think it was right that, that 
that Len you didn't think was someone that would necessarily want to do it himself? No, Len wouldn't have asked, wouldn't have asked for any, any help. Um, he just, he wanted a quiet life. Do you know what I mean? He was, you know, very basic, a bit like myself, really. That's where we got on so well. You know, we, we just wanted to enjoy our life, you know, not uh, a load of friends, but good, close friends. Um, and uh, somebody needed to do it because, you know, the, the family needed help. Uh, Len needed help as well because the only sort of things you can claim for when you've been a professional footballer and he was he, he, he was teaching at the time uh, so he he couldn't carry that on because of his diagnosis and the way he was he was he was going so phoning the PFA was um, yeah it was something that you know the, that's what the PFA is there for you know they're there to look after players uh, when you're playing when you finish playing it, it's just what you should do and that they help set up the trust uh, for for Len. Uh, and they did help really, really well with a lot of things that he needed because he he gets some funding from the local council for special beds and special equipment. But there's always an extra bit of money that was needed to top up that, and the PFA were really good with that, and they they helped immensely. And how was that that time for you personally, having to to deal with that as a friend as well? It was tough, uh, but Len was always one of them. He, he made you feel at ease, you know. He, even though he he was struggling, you could see him deteriorating. Uh, we had we had some good fun after he got diagnosed. We um, we we went round a lot of his ex clubs and you know basically a tour of all his ex clubs and uh, had meals and nights out and 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 things like that. So you know you had to just park it a little bit and say right we're gonna have a good time here. Uh, so we went you know slap up meals in with directors and things like that, which we'd never done. You know what I mean we were players. You don't go and sit with the directors, have meals and things like that, and get a free bar. And we were like looking at each other and saying it's all right, isn't it? You know what I mean, and, and then as he as he got worse, he had to cut his food up for him and help feed him and things like that. And we we went end up in Hartlepool. Uh, one night he used to play for Hartlepool. We were in a in a social club, uh, a race night that they'd organised for him. So we went from directors' lounge at Blackburn Rovers with all the chairmen and owners of clubs to a social club at Hartlepool, and we loved that just as much as we did at, at Blackburn. And Len, Len loved it. And so I'll never forget that because he was such a practical joker and he, he'd take the mick out of everybody. Uh, we were sat there once and we were eating steak and drinking red wine. And he just, he leant over to me and went, you know, I'm not really old, don't you? And, and I, I looked at him and I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because it was that, he was enjoying himself that much. And we got into this position where we're getting all this free stuff. And he, he was like me, he loved free stuff. Do you know what I mean? He was like, we're having a night out, it's free. We're having a great time. Uh, but, you know, putting all that aside, you know, he, he lived his life to, to the full. Uh, and obviously near, near the end, the last couple of years were, he struggled because he lost his voice. Uh, he's in a wheelchair, uh, and that was the, probably the, the toughest time, really, because he you could see him deteriorate because he was he was a strong player as a an, as, as a man, uh, and he just you know it deteriorated really really badly, and you know he passed away in August uh, last year, so it was uh, not not a great time. But uh, we try and keep his legacy going. You know we've, we've had a lot of charity matches, football matches, golf days. We've just done a zip wire uh, last uh, two weeks ago in in, in Wales. Uh, in his memory so we, we, we try and keep all these things going is that what you miss most about the game the camaraderie that that sense of, of friendship with everyone and, and you mentioned it there the sort of the banter if you like because from what I hear from speaking to, to many sort of ex-footballers if you like they always say you can't replicate that in other walks of life it is it's something that you go through as younger players and then once you've you've kicked that final ball if you like you can't replicate it yeah, listen. You, you're in change rooms with the uh, you know like-minded blokes for most of, most of your life or most of your career. Uh, so you, 
you can never replicate that. And I often wonder what other people do in other jobs. You know, what what do they do in in their in their jobs? What's the office atmosphere like? You know, and things like that. But I can't imagine it's uh, like a dressing room because it's some some place unforgiving as well because of the, the banter and the Mickey taking and what have you like. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Do you know what I mean? You was involved in 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 that for for years, um, and yeah, you, you do miss that. Uh, but you know, depends what job you're going into into after that as well. It depends what sort of character you are. So the first first two or three years are, are, are tough when you come out of football, but you get used to going back into normal life because you, you forget you, you've got that time span again to to develop another career. So you know, it is a short career. What they say about football. I read an article that said that you decided that when you retired from football that you wanted to become a stay-at-home dad for a while. Just tell us a little bit about why that was the case. Well, it wasn't quite that I wanted to. Uh, that it was it was just a decision that uh, we'd, we'd bought a business, uh, me and my wife, um, a nursery business in, in Metheringham in Lincoln, still playing non-league football. Um, and she was still quite busy with the business and, and, and that. And, and anyway, we sold we sold the business uh, and my wife went back to, to be a, a, a trained to be a health visitor because she's a trained nurse. Um and she she just fallen pregnant before then with our, our third uh, Macy, uh, so she and then she we sold the nursery. She had Macy, uh, and then she wanted to go back to university and what have you. So, you know, perfect time for me to to stay at home and have a, have a year off, um, and you know just try and relax a little bit. But it didn't always work like that. You know what I mean? It was sort of I had a year off. Went to all the coffee mornings with the youngest daughter, and I actually quite liked it. You know what I mean? Because you know she was a baby. I spent a lot of time with her. Um, you know. And you know, watched her grow up, and and, and that's so I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then you just get not itchy feet, but you want to get back into the working life. Do you know what I mean? And I, I got myself a job at a, a local nursery cooking, uh, which because I, I knew the owners, uh, so I started cooking there. Uh, and then I was when I started coaching down here, uh, and then before I knew it, I was I was cooking, I was coaching the sixteens down here, the eighteens, twenty one. I was driving the minibus. I was making the sandwiches for the U team on Saturday. I was driving. I was driving the bus here and everywhere, but I loved it. Do you know what I mean? Because I was I was helping the club out, and it was you know part of the next next phase of my as my life and, and career. So um, you know I, I wouldn't change anything, mm. uh, but you get immersed in it. Do you know what I mean? Coming coming down here and, and helping was 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 fantastic. Do you know what I mean? And, and being involved at a club that that helped me progress my career when I first started was brilliant. And it was at a time where the club seriously needed some help, wasn't it? I mean, it was just two, that, that, that era of 2015, 2016, we know what happened almost immediately after. But around then, this place had a very different feel, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot don't get, a lot, not enough gets said about them, them, them times, really, because, um, you know, people always remember the good times. But, you know, I can remember coming down here when, the, you know, you, you could drive from my house, which is 15 minutes away, uh, and set off at 10 to 3. And pull up outside the front gates and walk in in time for kickoff. Do you know what I mean? Now you can't do that. Do you know what I mean? You set an hour before park up and walk in. You know there was twelve hundred fans coming at them times. And but to be fair, the, the people that were working then worked ever so hard mm. to keep the club where they they were. And if it wouldn't have been for them sort of people, your Chris Moyes, your Damien Froggett, your Ian McCallum's, and all the people behind the scenes and the officers. Do you know what I mean? The the, the, the this club wouldn't be where they are today because that them sort of people kept the club just going and give them the foundations to build on for when, you know, things did, did explode. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a special club to me. And it feels like anything is almost possible now, you know, actually getting out of the national league in the manner that this club did. And then of course, winning league two now doing well in league one, a solid season 
last season. It'll be interesting to see what this year holds, of course. But do you get that feeling, both as a fan and a former player, when you come back here with the club being so close to your heart that actually looking at football and the way it is these days, anything could happen? Yeah, I mean, you, you only have to look at Luton, uh, prime example. Do you know what I mean? From where they were to where they are now. It's a, it, it it's doesn't happen all the time. Do you know what I mean? It's a very rare occasion. But, um, you know, clubs like Bournemouth, you know, same size club, Brentford. So it is possible. It's a dream. But this, this club's on good footings. Do you know what I mean? You know, the, the Clive who took over, uh, he's, he's got people, right people in the right places, uh, got the right investors, not punching too high, you know what I mean, with wages and expectation, um, but just nice and steady. And the club's in, in on solid foundations. And, you know, you never read about Lincoln City struggling for this, struggling to pay the players, struggling for that. And, you know, this is going on at that club. You hear a lot about that at clubs that, are, you know, have pushed that extra bit, pay massive wages, and then things, you know, falls, falls away and, you know, they can't pay this player, they have to get rid of that player, they have to sell this player. Lincoln City is on good good footings, uh, and I, I, sometimes you 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 have to pinch yourself a little bit and think, well, you know, just, just nice and steady, build slowly, you know, and don't ex, don't exceed expectations and sort of straight away, but you know, try and build in foundations slowly. Is that what it's about? Is that is that almost the key to success in football? Because now more so than ever, we're, the, the conversation about money is once again coming to the fore, whether it's in this country, whether it's abroad even outside of Europe but actually when it comes to clubs doing well particularly in this sort of lower echelons if you like of the of the football league in the middle of the football league is it about having that to coin a phrase five ten year plan I think so you can't talk about football without bringing money into it it's, it's, it's not impossible isn't it because you know people want to get paid and some people get paid more than others just just the way it is uh, but you know you, you never you never read about um, Lincoln say not not getting, not players not getting paid and, and things like that, and you know they're never never in trouble. Uh, and but it's just the expectation of fans now because they've known success for the last four or five years. They want more. Yeah, there's a pre- there's almost a little bit of pressure on it now, isn't it's there? A, there's nothing wrong with expectation, uh, but sometimes you've got to just you know take it steady. Mm. And listen, if it comes, it's brilliant. Do you know what I mean? And I, I've never understood the phrase of can't afford to go up and all that sort of stuff like. It's still, you go up, it's brilliant. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're playing against you know better teams, bigger stadiums, things like that, and you, you, you take it. Um, but yeah, it's money is yeah, it, it, it can make football clubs, but it can also break them as well. How did you deal with pressure as a player? Because I, I watched an interview that you did on on ITV's calendar at the time, and you gave a very relaxed interview. I think it was not long after a game, I think you just scored a brace against Doncaster, so you're rightly in a good mood, but you seem very relaxed at the time. But but back then, now as well, but particularly back then, if you didn't play well for, for three or four months, you could potentially be out of the football league and potentially be without a, a well-paid job or without a job that pays at all. So for you, was it was it tough at the time or did you sort of breeze through it? I think when you're young, you don't you don't see... You, well, I, I certainly didn't, didn't, see, didn't see pressure or feel pressure, really. You know, you, you, you're the best job in the world. I mean, I'd, I'd, you know, I was living local in Diggs and then I bought my first house and I was playing football and, you know... At a, at a car, do you know what I mean? I was like, I, was, I thought I was a millionaire. Do you know what I mean? I was on, I was on pittance, but you know, I was, I'd be on out. I was like, I'm thinking, this is great. This, do you know what I mean? And you're playing football for, and training for two or three hours a day, and you know, you can afford to buy this, not not excessively, but you know, you're not struggling. You and you know, so I didn't, I didn't see that as pressure. Pressure is like you know, not having a job. 
uh, and not been able to afford these these things. So, um, yeah, I've always been been quite lucky that never earned massive amounts of money, but just enough. And for a, for a Yorkshireman, just to be earning a little, a few quid and being able to do these things was, I felt like I was a millionaire. I was having a look at your Twitter earlier today, and a lot of the a lot of the things you retweet, if you like, they seem to be. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but they seem to be a lot of. Um, sort of pos- positive messages, if you like. There seems to be a reoccurring theme there. Is that, is that something that you've always sort of instilled in yourself, instilled, instilled in the people around you to to try and think positively? And maybe I'm reading too much into that, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems very important now. But back then, certainly, obviously, mental health was not something that people spoke about necessarily within football. Was it something you were always mindful of? or Not back in the day, but I mean, more, more now, especially, you know, especially since Len, Len died as well. Do you know what I mean? You, 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 a different perspective on life. You know, you think about things a little bit more. Uh, and yeah, listen, I, I've struggled with, with Len dying. Uh, it, it, hits you, it hits your heart sometimes. Uh, but then I always remember his smile and saying he was always a positive person. So that has a massive effect on you. Uh, and you say the social media thing, I was never a big fan, but Len actually put me on social media because I was like, no, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. We were sat in a pub in Leeds one day and he went, he got me phone, he went around putting it on Twitter. I went, oh no. I said, you know, you got to keep, I'm going to keep ringing you to tell me how to use it. And I had to do it because I didn't, and I wasn't, wasn't uh, you know, wasn't that way inclined. But yeah, I mean, if you, the things I put on Twitter really just retweets of, of jokes and positive things and, you know, things that, yeah, maybe happy uh so that's that's the way I, I try and look at life um and especially since Len died you know you, you you try and be more positive and enjoy your life a bit more I mean it does put it into perspective doesn't it and I guess it's such and particularly with football there's almost a bit of an oxymoron because it seems like the most the most pressurizing most important thing in the world but then you've got the complete and utter flip side of something what's happened to someone so close to you someone that played the game professionally as well that puts it into perspective to say actually Football isn't that important, yet it is that important because it's important to so many people. It's a strange one. Yeah, yeah. Len, Len was a really positive person, but he he, he, did, he didn't really like football that much as such. You know, when we, when we played, um, and yeah, you know, he, he used to take the mick about all all things in football. Uh, so yeah, it's it a massive part of our life, football. But we you know we we gained a friendship from it outside of football, and and you know didn't really speak too much about football when we, when we, when we finished, you know, cause we had, we had a couple of houses together that we rented out and things like that. So a little bit of a business going on, uh, and you know, just positive, positive outlook on life. And so when he, he got diagnosed, he was saying, look, we've got to be positive now that this is, you know, got to try and enjoy, enjoy things. But obviously COVID didn't help as well. Like, cause he, he was obviously that cut off a lot of things that he wanted to do as well around the MND sort of like awareness. Uh, so that, that, curtailed a lot of things like but yeah a positive attitude was always the thing that, that myself and Len tried to try to do and you mentioned COVID there I know we were speaking just before this this podcast recording about what it was like to play at, at the club back then you mentioned it on here as well that actually the fans were almost right on top of you how do you think you would have coped playing in front of empty stadiums for you was it all about the atmosphere were you sort of given that extra 10% by the crowd whether it was home or away yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I, I obviously brought up with low crowds when I first started, and then got bigger crowds as you went. And then obviously, when I when I finished playing, I played I played non-league for a lot of years, so there wasn't a lot of fans there then. So it, it's a strange atmosphere. I always go back to sort of like when it was like a a reserve game on a Wednesday afternoon when there was like a handful of people there. I can only imagine that's what it was like in COVID, because there was always a handful of people there, media and people like that. So, but yeah, really strange, and but. It, that's what needed to happen at that sort of time, like for it to keep going, like so. But you know, just that's just the way of the world at the time. 
So you scout at Sunderland now. What what does the future look like for Dean West in terms of working in the game and, and the future maybe outside of the game? Well, I enjoy my role now what I do part-time. Um, as I say, full-time role, maybe maybe later scouting-wise if, if I, you know, I get offered something full-time. But I'm quite happy with what I do now. I, you know, I've got my own gardening business where, you know, the village where I live, I've got you know, 10 or 15 gardens where I go around cut grass and trim hedges and, and weed and do certain jobs for dog walking and things like that for people. So I really enjoy this it. outdoor lifestyle. Um, I can pick and choose when I, when I not pick and choose when I work, but you know, I can, I'm in charge of my own calendar uh, and I fit the football in alongside that. So yeah, it's, it, life's good at the minute. Do you know what I mean? And, and I really enjoy it. And it's an, I don't earn a fortune, but I earn a living. So I always think that, uh, you know, people always ask me about, you know, would, would you, would you want to play now and earn a lot of money? And I'm like, do you know what? Genuinely, I don't think I would because I'm, uh, I'm thinking I like to go to the pub and have a couple of pints and I was playing, do you know what I mean? Not, not day for a game and things like that, obviously. But, you know, after a game on a, on a Saturday, go out for a few pints, you know, after a game, maybe go for, not, not massively, you know, but players can't do that now. They can't enjoy themselves. They can't go out and, you know, do anything because everything's all over the place. You know what I mean? They can't get away with anything. Everything's on social media. So I enjoyed my career and, you know, I enjoyed what, what we did after games and, you know, we had a a good lifestyle, but you know we we still were like pretty normal, mm. and I, I think the players now I don't think have normal lifestyles until they actually finish, then they can drop into a normal lifestyle because they're not, not as famous. Yeah, so Jack Grealish, do you know what I mean? You know the, the perfect example. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely brilliant, absolutely fantastic. Is that you after getting into the championship? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was everybody, yeah. but because it wasn't on social media. You know, you know, you're two or three day bender after getting promoted, and nobody says a word about it. But everything's on social media now. The cameras following him everywhere, and listen, that's the price of fame, I suppose. But um, and he got knocked for it from from a certain amount of people. But listen, just enjoy it while you can. Do you know what I mean? It don't, these things don't happen very often. In ten years' time, like it won't be playing. So it's like enjoy it while you can. You've got yeah. to enjoy it, haven't you? In a moment like that, especially when in the treble, but even even for yourself, having you know gone from League Two to the Championship, I know you mentioned it there, that you, you obviously need to celebrate those wins to almost mentally reset and go again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I, I always say to, if I speak to any players now, like, just enjoy it while you can. I used to get that advice from, from older players as well. Do you know what I mean? And you, you sort of like, you, you take it on board and you think, well, what does that really mean? But, as you get older, you know what it means, and then you pass it on to the players. And I mean, I played non-league football as well after, and I really enjoyed it. Absolutely enjoyed it because all the lads were working, some ex-ex pros as well, but all the lads were like normal like working jobs, come in and you know, play for a decent team in Kingsland and Corby, had a bit of success and what have you, like, which always helps. Uh, but you were mixing with lads who had normal jobs, normal life, normal pressures, and that, and you still have your nights out and things like that. But just got a different group of friends who were from a different background and things like that, and. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Listen, Dean, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for joining us on the on the podcast. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you very much.